You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Lots to get to today, lots to get to. Um, I'm, what I'm going to do is put the, I guess the bigger stuff, I don't even know if you'd call it bigger, it's just whatever. The stuff that I would usually put last first, just because the time crunch has been such that I get all the newsy stuff out of the way, and then the other stuff that I want to talk about gets pushed back every single day. So we're just gonna we're just gonna pick up where we left off yesterday, basically, and uh, kind of go that route. I think we can get through all this, though. It as always, it just depends how concise I can be, which, as you know, is not my strong suit. If you don't know that and you're new, by the way, welcome. Thank you for joining the greatest Packers podcast anywhere in podcastium. Pad podcastum. Pod not it's not dumb. Just trying to make it sound like a like fandom, you know, that thing with the, what is the dumb at the end? What does that do to a word? Like kingdom? Podcast kingdom? Anyways, welcome. I promise it only gets better. Sometimes I just gotta work through stuff out loud on a podcast. Anywho's, preliminarily, make sure you join the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. It's a 24-hour Green Bay Packer party. And as the 24-hour implies, the party don't stop. Redundant, but I wanted to get that last line in there. Um, also, make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. I suppose since I don't ever directly plug it, even though it's in my intro every time, but I think you just kind of tune it out. Uh, pack underscore daddy on Twitter. That's a thing. Also, Packernet Podcast on Instagram. So there you go. If and you'd like to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy would be the way in which you would do it. Special thank you to Kyle, Daniel, and Charlie and Zach Miller. Really do appreciate the support. And remember, I will be doing a t-shirt or whatever you want in my Teespring store giveaway. The way in which you enter $1 donation is one entry. And I'm sure you can figure out the rest of the math from there. If you have an aversion to Patreon for one reason or the other, um, pretty much any other way that you can think to donate, I have that available as well. iTunes, five-star iTunes review would be greatly appreciated. Or anywhere else that you can leave a review. And as, as always... Make sure the podcast you're listening to, take out your phone right now, look at it. Does it say Packernet Podcast? If not, it would be greatly appreciated if you would find the Packernet Podcast and subscribe to it. Just, I know the other one's extremely convenient, and I know it's a little confusing. It's just a favor that I have to ask. Thank you and good day. I think that's it. We'll take a break, and we'll start off with some, uh, I don't know, theoretical things, and then move on to news and a little bit of draft news, because there is some stuff going on. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, I know some people, oh, well, what are you doing talking about that already? Excuse me, sir, ma'am. The Green Bay Packers are having meetings with prospects. Would you like to know who? Then relax. Take a break. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have chronic pain or a general feeling of discomfort in your muscles and joints, it really can affect the way you live your life. I know there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that have problems with their muscles. I know it's causing you to not sleep at night. I know it hurts when you stand up. I got that. Knees are just the worst. And I know how that affects your ability to exercise. Something I think you should consider is Omax Health. If you want to get rid of that nagging muscle and joint pain right away and have long-lasting recovery, you need to try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution CryoFreeze CBD Roll-On developed by Omax Health. 
This is a non-prescription, triple-action pain relief roll-on. Its, its sole job on earth is to block the pain receptors, reduce inflammation, improve muscle and joint flexibility. And if it matters to you, it's a 100% natural, CBD-powered remedy, and it works its magic within 10 minutes, and the relief can last up to 8 hours, which is a lot longer than any kind of over-the-counter stuff. Omax Health is offering my listeners 20% off a full bottle cryo-free CBD pain relief roll-on plus free shipping. The discount also applies toward any product site-wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter overtime as the promo code. That's omaxhealth.com and enter overtime to get 20% off cryo-freeze and site-wide. I'd also like to once again encourage you to envision yourself in roughly a month and a half in Arizona, in 75-degree weather, hearing the sound of wooden bats cracking against baseballs, while I'm still out here breaking my back, shoveling out my driveway, because I, in my mind, once it hits March or end of February, it's supposed to be spring. But I forget every year that's not how this works. It's still freezing cold. It can still be below zero, for those of you that live roughly around the area that I live. And I just don't want you to endure that. But even if you don't live up here... Maybe especially for those of you that live in Florida or Hawaii, where you live in a vacation destination. I've always wondered, where do you go? What do you do? How do you up that? Maybe you don't up it. You just go find new, different, fun experiences. And that's where I think the Arizona Cactus League Spring Training could come in handy. Ten stadiums, 15 teams, 75-degree weather, great food, great music, great everything. So take a look and plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash springtraining. All right, so I, I've been kind of going a little bit at this whole analytics thing. And I'm, I'm just about over it. But on top of Eric Eager from PFF, there is also Ben Baldwin, who, and I understand all he's doing. And, and, and listen, I think I get this way. I get so defensive about stuff that I rant about it constantly and people kind of get annoyed with it especially when I'm doing that with Pro Football Focus, probably. But let me just say, this is getting beyond obnoxious. But let me just pick out one thing that he had said a couple days ago, and then we'll just kind of leave him out of it and just kind of ask a general question. Because the, the point is, what we're hearing from a lot of people is that this team is better than this team. Here was the tweet from Mr. New Age Analytical on the 13th. So this was a while ago. Again, I've been pushing this off because I never really got to it says, furthermore, the Vikings are a better team than the Packers. Yes, I know about the head-to-head. No, I don't care. And the 49ers just destroyed them. And all of San Francisco's injured defenders are back now. So I, I don't want this to sound like a lazy cop-out, but it's, it's a legitimate question because I started asking the question trying to really get at what this means. And I do think it's interesting. What makes a team a good team? See, because... Ben Baldwin, and I, I don't I don't know a ton about the guy. I'm sure a lot of you are, have been following him longer than I have. I just started, I mean, I, I knew he existed, but I started following all his tweets, and I'm going to undo that because he's become completely obnoxious. But one thing I've learned is that he is obsessed with EPA, which is something I talked about maybe a week ago. And, and the best way I can summarize that is we've taken all the down-and-distance information throughout all history, all, all the information that we can gather. We've plug that into a computer, right? In other words, here's every single down and distance and every single result of that down and distance. From there, we can create an expectation of what you should be able to do from this play. If it is third and four from your own 34, 
Here is, on average, and it's just using points, which kind of makes sense. As I've been talking about recently, points are the most important thing. How many points are you expected to get? Then, let's say you gain 25 yards. So you should be on uh, the 40-yard line now, right? I don't know why I didn't pick something easier to do mathematically, but 40. That's fairly simple. So you've got 40 yards to go, and it's first and 10. So the point is, let's say before you had like a .2 points expected on this play. Now that shot up to about 1 point or 1.5 points. You look at the difference between the two, and that's how many points were added. In other words, what you did was a net positive. And they use that to determine how much of a positive play that was, and just sort of a general... I, I, I don't know, that's his big thing. That That is the thing. The problem is, and this is what a lot of people have been saying, EPA, or whatever it is, and, and every other thing, are just little pieces in a puzzle. And they each answer a question. You, you, you ask a question, and then you get an answer, but you have to understand that this answer is only for that one question. And you can maybe try to apply it to other things, but to, to ask a question, get an answer, and then say, this is the holy grail, this answers everything. That's just not how anything works. And so it's an honest question, and I'm not even saying he's wrong, but when he says the Vikings are a better team than the Packers, what is that based on? What does a good team do? How do you determine a good team? Here is sort of a thought that I had. And again, I'm not trying to get this to be a cop-out because statistics and analytics do come into this. And I think you can make a strong case from taking all the data and all the analytics and saying, here is what I have. And based on this, I tend to believe the Vikings are better than the Packers. I don't think anyone can say that definitively, especially when, number one, the Packers had a better record. Number two, they beat them twice head-to-head. Number three, they're still alive in the playoffs. That one's a little bit weak because they just beat Seattle and Minnesota beat New Orleans. And I mean, if they beat the 49ers, then that case becomes even more relevant. They won two games and beat the team that the Vikings couldn't. But there's a lot of those things that you can look at. Here is sort of the conclusion I came to and how this works with analytics. I think there are two parts to football. There's the seen and the unseen. Analytics is trying to make sense of what we can see. We can see down in distance. We can see what you've done over the course of the year. We can see, you know, even uh, Football Outsiders, fantastic site. They do a great job of taking the information we do have, which, by the way, I would make the case that we don't have very much. And I'm, it's statistics, who cares about statistics? Statistics are such a small part of what's going on. But they do a great job of taking what we have and trying to make sense of it. And in a very general, and, and I don't want to say lazy because they're not lazy, but compared to the actual reality, in a very lazy sense, saying, this is what the defense is, and we know that because we've seen it like four times over the course of the year, so we know exactly who they are, and we'll use EPA to say, this is what you should do, you know, you should be able to do this much on this play, however, we're going to take into account their defense, therefore, this is the expectation, did you do better or worse than that? That's a fantastic baseline for trying to make sense of what we at least can see, you have to account for the fact that we can't see much, right? There's, there's a reason that analytics and some things can be somewhat predictive because there is somewhat of a correlation between the scene and the reality. The problem is there's this whole area of dark matter, this whole big giant area of unseen. What does your supercomputer tell you about Mason Crosby's struggles this year and how it impacts him as a football player? How much do these injuries play into account or sickness? How much sleep a guy got? How about Aaron Rodgers talking about the balls just coming off his hand before the game, prior to the game? 
How about uh, Matt LaFleur's scheme slowly developing as guys are getting more and more comfortable in this? Here's the other thing, and the thing that I think the analytics community needs to realize and why people are really getting frustrated with them. They are trying to make the case that analytics is all that matters, and they're 100% wrong. Nobody watches football for the seen portion of football. Everybody watches football for what you can't see. Ben Baldwin right now can plug all the data he has into a supercomputer and tell us who to give a trophy to. Zero people on planet Earth, including him, want that. We have that ability right now. We can, we can use a, an Excel spreadsheet and all this nerdy statistical language to determine who the best team is, which is false. But, you know, again, we take the, what we can see, plug it into a computer, and say this is the best team, therefore they should win the Super Bowl. Everything else is a fluke, an anomaly, or a fraud. No, dude, you just believe in your, your nonsense too much. And I love all this stuff, but you got to recognize that it's just trying to help you answer a question. And, and listen, if you listen to this podcast, you understand that when I say things, there's never anything 100% definitive. It's, this is what I believe now, this is why I tend to believe it, although I don't know definitively, and I fully understand that this can change, if it's even true to begin with, in the future. That, that is the strongest stance, and I know I say things more powerfully than that because I can't sit here and apologize for every sentence that I say. Well, kind of, sort of, I don't know. But that is always the premise I'm coming from. Everything I say is my opinion, and I say it strongly and forcefully, but it's my opinion. And I try to back it up by facts, but I, I'm not even going to pretend to say that I know who's going to win what. I'll give you my opinion and why, and there do tend to be trends, right? My, my thought on why the Titans had a good chance against the Ravens wasn't based on statistics. It's based on, after doing this for a few years, I'm getting a feel for this. Because that's the other thing. Part of the unseen is that football is very much a feel sport. Look, look, at, look at momentum. What in the world is momentum? It's an emotion. It's an emotion that is taking place on the field that actually emanates all the way through the television. I get a feeling in my gut that the Green Bay Packers are in a lot of trouble at the exact same moment that everyone in the stands felt it. Zadarius Smith and I felt that feeling at the exact same time. It's a weird, special kind of thing that you and the football players share. There is an emotional thing that took place, and everybody can feel it. The computer can't feel it, though. That's the difference. That's part of what makes football special. It's the fact that, yes, every computer on planet Earth can tell you that the 49ers are going to beat the Packers. And they'll give you a percentage and they'll give you all this different stuff. But every single one of us knows that once that kickoff happens, all the computers are off. Nothing matters anymore. None of that matters. I mean, you, you've got, this was not even that long ago. Who was it? There was a lot of talk about analytics. And, and by the way, uh, ben Baldwin has also been going on a tirade talking about how analytics play a massive part in the NFL, and a lot of teams use it, and the ones that do are successful. Again, anytime you're, you find somebody that's super dogmatic, they believe that their side is always right and every other side is always wrong. He's wrong. The, the Cleveland Browns are very, very, very heavy in analytics. Very heavy. As a matter of fact, Kevin Stefanski on every Friday, do you know what he has to do? He has to submit his game plan to the analytics department of the Cleveland Brown for approval. They have to approve his game plan. That's garbage. That's never going to work. Everybody knows it. Every quote-unquote football guy is looking at that saying, that's dumb, that's not going to work. On the other hand, you've got other teams that are successful that do use analytics. For example, the Saints and the Eagles. They use analytics, and they help 
they, they bring analytics in to help them develop a game plan, but they don't submit it to the analytics. Again, analytics and things can help you answer questions. They're, they're fantastic at helping you when you have a question about, okay, I want to attack this, but I want to know if we break this down in this way, this way, this way. This, because that's the thing. The computer isn't doing the, the, the figuring out for you. It's just spitting out something. And whether or not your question is a good question and your conclusions are good conclusions, that's what matters. It's not what a computer spits out. Garbage in, garbage out. It's just a computer. The question is, are you asking the right questions and do you have the right conclusions? And here's the other thing. I don't remember which one of the two coaches, I think it was the Eagles head coach, had said, yes, we use analytics, but when, when you've got a call that's, for example, do we punt or do we go for it? Do we kick a field goal or do we go for it? He says he does not submit to analytics. He does not care. He's got a guy upstairs with a headset on that can tell him, based on the numbers, this is what you do. Guess what? He doesn't listen to that guy. He said he always goes with his gut. And all the football guys agree. You know why? Because it is a gut thing. Because all the past data about what works and what doesn't doesn't really matter. It might come into play at some point. But here's the thing. How many times the New York Giants in 1995 converted a fourth down has no bearing on the mood and momentum of this game that I'm in right now. I'm the one looking in my quarterback's eye and can see where he's at. I'm the one that can see my team is beaten and battered, or vice versa. I can see that their defense is on their heels, and I couldn't give two you-know-whats about what the nerd upstairs says about don't go for it. These guys are on their heels. They can't catch their breath. My quarterback is amped up. He hasn't missed a pass in about 14 throws. We're going for it. Analytics play a role. But it's not the role, and I would argue it's the lesser of the more important things between the seen and the unseen. And when it comes to what makes football special and what makes football football, it's all about the unseen. It's all about the unknown. It's, it's not just the unknown. I'm not talking about, okay, shut the computers off because then we won't know. No, it's the fact that with the computers on, after they're done spouting out all this stuff, we realize that that all doesn't mean a single thing. The computers don't matter. Yes, we've been listening to the 49ers are going to win, the 49ers are going to win, the 49ers are going to win. But everybody realizes once this thing starts, that comfort factor goes away because we've been on the other side of it, right? Oh, the Packers are going to destroy the Lions. And suddenly you start, you know, they go up a score, right? The first time we played the Lions, I think what, they got the ball first in the very first play, they got a touchdown. All that talk about who the Packers are and who the Lions are, Poof, it's gone. And suddenly the Packers are on their heels. Suddenly you realize that all this self-talk we've done and all the look at all the data and all the analytics, that's all gone because this is just football now. And football is a different animal. And it is, it, it is its own entity. And it is not subjected at all to analytics and data. The, the, the Titans had a 13% chance of beating the Baltimore Ravens. 13 But you know what? Football is football. And there are so many billions and trillions of of unseen transactions that are happening on a second-by-second basis leading up to the game, prior to the game, during the game. So many different things that are going on in each individual person. Their mental and emotional state. Their physical state. And then you compound that by the mental, emotional, and physical state of all the guys around you, of the coaches, of the people, of the the crowd noise, the fact that your girlfriend broke up with you last night, the fact that your kid is sick, the fact that your grandma's dying. All these things are what make football real. Football is a real thing. It's not a computer. 
And again, I love the data. But trying to pretend that it's more important than it is and trying to suck all the fun out of it so that you become the most important thing, which is what Ben Baldwin is trying to do, which is really obnoxious. He wants to be the center of attention. He wants analytics to be the most important thing, and he is king of the analytics. He's wrong. He needs to be humbled because he's wrong. And so again, I go back to his original question, or excuse me, his original statement, which should have been a question. He didn't say, I believe the Vikings are better. He said the Vikings are better. Based on what? EPA? I'm sorry, but there's only one thing that matters in football, and that's winning. How many teams, let me ask you this, how many teams should we take Super Bowl trophies away from? I'm not talking about cheating. I'm talking about because they were frauds, because they weren't the quote-unquote best team in football. Should we take that away from them? Of course not. Because the, the goal of this game isn't to score the most points. The goal of this game isn't to have the highest EPA. It's not to be the most efficient. It's not to have the highest passer rating. It's not to get the most sacks or to allow the least amount of points. It's to win football games. And if you do that, you are the best team. Because that's the only goal. If that, if that wasn't the goal, the Packers wouldn't be 13-3. and three. The goal of every game is to win, with, to get more points than the other team on a given day, and then it resets the next day. And to simply look at a team that runs up the score every week and say they're the best team because they score the most points on average does not account for the the football aspect of the game. The fact that there were quite a few people that saw the Titans as a real threat. The analytics community couldn't see that because the numbers don't support that. But football people could see it. Not that they 100% believed it. I didn't 100%. It was less than 50% that the Titans were going to win, in my mind. But I could see that they're the right kind of team. They have the right kind of, 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 of attitude. They have the right kind of momentum. The fact that they are offensively and defensively balanced, which is a pattern that I've noticed over the years. Those teams tend to do well in the playoffs. Run the ball teams, right? Run the ball, you know, as, as they say, pack your running game and your defense when you go to the playoffs because you're going to need them. The Titans have that in spades. So again, the numbers people pump out the numbers. They put out the percentages. The media people run with it because they don't want to be wrong. They want to play to the numbers. So everybody said, Ravens, 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 Ravens. But once that ball was kicked off, the Ravens had nothing on the Titans. And that's what makes the game special. You just don't know. So again, I'm not saying the Vikings aren't better than the Packers. I just think you're fighting an uphill battle to tell me why a team whose goal it is is to win against the Packers didn't beat the Packers. Especially when you say, yes, I know head-to-head, I don't care. I'm sorry, but the best way in a game in which winning is the goal to determine if Team A is better than Team B is to pit them head-to-head. Because better overall is, is just too hard of a question. Because we know how this works. Team A can beat Team B, Team B can beat Team C, and Team C can beat Team A. So who's better? Well, A is better than B, B is better than C, and C is better than A. If we assume that there is this, this thing called better, that doesn't make sense. But if we break that down and say, is A better than B, we can say yes. And maybe it's not definitive. Again, how do you definitively answer this? I don't think you can. But to definitively say the team with the better record that has gone further in the playoffs, that has beat the Vikings twice, is not as good as the Vikings, is a wildly inaccurate thing to say. But he's 100% confident in it because he's plugged stuff into the computer and he can see that this is better than this. And again, maybe he's right. But his absolute refusal to look at the football factor in football is his fatal flaw, and it's why people are getting frustrated with him. And he doesn't see it because he thinks he's doing the hard work, which is the analytics, and everyone else is just lazily feeling emotions, which in some cases is probably true. 
but he's wrong in this. Not necessarily about the Packers or Vikings thing. Maybe that's correct. He's wrong in assuming that he is the ultimate arbiter of truth because reality is not playing out in the way in which the analytics community would have, would have expected. And the fact that the analytics community is calling the Packers frauds is proof of that because it's, it's their inability to recognize that despite their best effort, they can't explain the Packers. But rather than say, I must be wrong, they say the Packers must be wrong and the universe must be wrong. When you get to that point, you've gone way too far. And so what I would encourage the, the heavy analytics community to recognize is that they do great work, they provide a lot to this community, but they don't know everything. And there is a massive quantity that is unseen, that is unheard, and that can't be calculated. And that makes up a massive portion of this. And it's the reason why some of the best in the business are really going to struggle to even get 70% of these games correct. I mean, a lot of guys who are really good at this are pretty close to 50%. 50-50. And that includes games like Patriots and, and Jets. You know, Baltimore and Miami, which are just gimmies. Anytime it's 50-50, guess what the results of these guesses are going to be, even with the supercomputers. It's going to be pretty close to 50-50. Because the unseen quantity is the biggest quantity in this equation. Much bigger than any of the computer data. And as much as that kind of stinks when you want answers... Again, it's what makes the sport special. So that's it. That's my pitch on that. That's my thought on that. I am not anti-analytics. I'm not even anti-Ben Baldwin. I just think he's overextending himself. I am a little bit anti-Eric Eager just because he is saying things that don't even make sense. I don't know the guy, but what in the world have been those past two videos? Just whatever. Anyways, obviously the uh, keeping the rants to a minimum thing isn't working. So what's next? Um, Brett Coleman came out with a video. Really, really like Brett Coleman. He is sort of the, uh, maybe the, the Ben Baldwin of film breakdowns. He does a fantastic job. He clearly knows his stuff. Uh, the, the production quality of his videos is incredible. I really, really like Brett Coleman. I really respect his opinion. Uh, I, just like I do with a lot of the analytics people, as far as what they can see and what, you know, understanding their limitations, as long as they stay in their zone, he's incredible. So um, if I could summarize the video, and I would encourage you to go watch it, Again, support him. He's, he's very good at it, and I want more videos to come out, and I'm glad that there's only four teams left because we get more Packers videos then. But his video was primarily talking about the defense, and, and he was actually, to some degree, flattering. He actually said that this is a very good defense, um, but there were a couple things that he said were a problem, and I'm not going to dispute a lot of it because I don't know, and he does know. One of the things is that he feels the Green Bay Packers defense is extremely predictive. Excuse me, predictable. That's problematic. Um, the 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 weird thing about it, though, is that, well, it, it's twofold. So he says the Packers' defense is predictable, and as a result, they have a very big problem with giving up big plays, right? 40-plus yard plays, I forget the stat, but, you know, the, the, the Packers are way up there, like fifth or something in 40-plus in yard plays. Fifth worst, in other words, or, or they've given up the fifth most. The interesting thing about it is he pointed out the 49ers game, he pointed out the Chargers game, he did not point out the Eagles game, but because maybe that didn't really apply. That was a different trenches kind of a win. But the point was, you had two teams that seemed to know exactly what to do to exploit it. I just find it a little strange that other teams didn't. And so I guess, you know, if I could ask a question back to Brett Coleman, it would be, why didn't the Lions or the Vikings or the Giants or the Redskins or the Cowboys or et cetera, et cetera, exploit this? And maybe they try. They're just... You know, like the Giants are just so bad, they, they couldn't quite execute it. That's possible. But you would think the Vikings could easily, if, if, if they've got a tell, basically if we just line up 
uh, with 11 personnel. If we have three wide receivers, they're going to be in man. So we just line up with three wide receivers, call man beaters all day, and we're going to destroy the Packers. That seems really easy. I could do that. I don't know how to call plays. I could call that. So that that is an interesting thing. The other thing that I, I, don't, I don't know if I would say I want to call him out on, but one of the things that certainly has seemingly changed, and, and maybe all of this has changed. I don't know how much he's looked at, at recency, but one of the things I had mentioned is that the Packers have not given up a lot of big plays. They've done a great job of keeping everything in front of them, and then Brett Coleman comes out and says the Packers are terrible at this, and so I wanted to check my work. I, you know, It's like I've been saying it. I feel like I should probably do the homework and, and see what the results are. The fact of the matter is, since Week 12, so after that 49ers game, do you know how many 40-plus yard plays there have been that I could find? It's possible there are more because I, I couldn't find a, a great way to do this. Two. In, in what, six games now, the Packers have given up a 40-plus yard pass twice. A 42-yard pass and a 43-yard pass, and that's it. That's it. Week 13, Tremont Williams gave up a 43-yard pass. It was versus Cody Latimer. In week 14, the longest pass that was given up was given up by Darnell Savage. It was 30 yards. Week 15, the longest pass given up was 34 yards by Kevin King. Week 16, 28 yards was the longest pass given up. Against the Vikings, 28 yards by Adrian Amos. After that, 21. Only two players. The third longest play given up, 10 yards by Blake Martinez. Week 17, Jair gave up a 42-yard pass. That was to Kenny Galladay, who is the deep pass master. That was his only reception on Jair Alexander the entire day. One target, one reception, 42 yards, only three yards after the catch. Kenny Galladay does that for a living. The next longest pass in that game, Rashawn Gary gave up a nine-yard reception. Excuse me, (laughs) 19-yard reception. So there's one 42-yard pass by the Detroit Lions. After that, nobody even reached 20. And then this past week against Seattle, 31 yards given up by Blake Martinez uh, going up against Tyler Lockett. So the fact of the matter is the Packers obviously had a really big problem with this in the past. And if you just look at week 12, uh, Kevin King gave up a 61-yard pass to George Kittle. Uh, Tremont gave up a 42-yard pass to Debo Samuel. Right, there, there were there were just I mean there were two in that one game. They've they've given up two since, and neither of them was beyond 43 yards. So the whole 60-yard pass thing, no, not even close. Nobody's reached 45. So there clearly has been a concerted effort since that time. Whether that's an actual change in the scheme, I don't know. That'd be a great question for Brett Coleman. And I tried to use SIS, but I, I don't exactly know how he's doing it to get that information. That's where he says he's getting that information from. If you know how to figure that out, great, let me know. But there's either been a change in scheme or a change in play. In other words, people are just executing better because this hasn't happened since. And again, the, the Lions have Kenny Galladay, very able to have big plays. The Vikings have Stephon Diggs. He's a very good, deep play guy. Seattle's one of the best deep ball throwers. You know, Russell Wilson is one of the best deep ball throwers in the game. So it's not like, well, they haven't played anybody that can throw deep. That's not true. And so the video overall was a little worrying and a little um, obviously concerning. And I'm sure even if that was a, a, a trend, there was going to be a very strong concerted effort, whether or not the scheme is working or not, to make some changes. Because you know full well the 49ers are breaking down everything you're doing, following all your tendencies. And, and although this is true all throughout the season, you generally stick with what works. I think you got to throw in some wrinkles here. you you got to work on, on baiting them. Right, the, the thing that Brett Coleman saw, which if the Packers are real smart, you throw Brett Coleman a bunch of money and you say, look, I want you to make a video. And you say that every time they're in this alignment, we do this. Because guess what? We're not doing that this week. And we just want to make sure that they notice that we've been doing that all year because we've been setting up this counterpunch. 
But either way, it is it is a little concerning. And and listen, defensive coordinators do do that stuff when you're lacking in a certain area, right? It always gets frustrating from a fan standpoint, saying, "Why do you keep doing that?" Because the answer to the question is, if I don't, it's even worse. It is the best way to put our guys in the best situation to succeed. So it's really just a matter of look. We know what we're doing. They know what we're doing. It's a matter of we hope that we can beat them before they can beat us. Because they're going to call the right play to beat it, but we just have to execute, which just scares me to death. But anyways, I just wanted to point that out again. Very good video. Go watch it. It's a little troubling to hear him um, you know, talk about how vanilla the defense might be, especially at times and how predictable it is. But again, look at how good the defense has been this year. Look at the lack of big plays, which was a massive problem all year. Big plays, big plays, big plays. That has been kept under wraps, as I said, and I, it wasn't based on information. It was just I have not remembered there being a lot of big plays, and there haven't been. 43 yards is the biggest play that has happened to the Green Bay Packers since the San Francisco 49ers game. So props to the Green Bay Packers and Mike Patton in particular for getting that uh, a little bit under control. All right, so the fun stuff is out of the way. Uh, we got some more news and notes and information. Why don't we take a break right here, and then uh, I think for the first time in a long time, I think I'm going to have time to clear the board. We'll see how it goes. Be back in a minute. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Um, a couple of broader, more NFL-type things. Apparently, the uh, Bills executive GM, Dan Morgan, is a massive frontrunner to become a GM. And I, I bring that up because, again, I'm, I'm hoping that the Browns or some kind of team looking for a GM, and they're not the only one, are strongly considering taking the Vikings assistant GM, whatever his title is, uh, vice president of player personnel, whatever. I want him out of Minnesota. And as much as there's been a lot of talk about him being the front runner, especially with them hiring Stefanski, not that that super matters, there is a possibility that at the 11th hour, Dan Morgan gets picked up uh, because apparently that's a really, really big name right now. So keep an eye out for that. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Also, relatively big NFL news. Apparently, although this has been talked about as, as being dragged out for some time, there might be a new CBA announcement prior to the Super Bowl which would be massive for the NFL in terms of there not being another stoppage of play. I don't think that would take place in 2020, but for the 2021 season, if this doesn't get done, there's a lot of talk about there just won't be football. Um, So that would be out of the way very soon. And it also 
part of the CBA is looking at things like salary cap. So there could be, you know, either a, a lessening of the salary cap or a massive bump in the salary cap. So if there is a new CBA announcement, that's one of the things to keep an eye on. It's, you know, it'll be good to go through the whole thing and figure out what's new with football. But uh, that could directly impact the Packers' ability and, and, and our competition's ability, by the way, to get free agents. So we'll keep an eye on that. Moving on to a little bit of, of NFL draft news, the Shrine Bowl. The practices have been underway now for three days. Um, the general consensus is that there's not a lot of top-tier talent that's there. Uh, it's a good way for guys who are kind of undrafted free agents to possibly get themselves drafted. There are a few potential maybe second-round picks in there. You know, Calvin Throckmorton has been uh, showing up in a pretty big way, stuff like that. But the general consensus is that there's not really a definite second-day pick on either squad, the East or the West. And, and you know, second-day means second or third round. Um, as for the Green Bay Packers, however, they have so far, at least as far as any count that I can see, met with five different prospects at the East-West Shrine game. Uh, the number one guy is a massive d- defensive tackle, Bravion Roy, six foot one, three hundred and thirty-three pounds. He spent four years at Baylor. Actually, had a bit of a breakout year in 2019 in terms of sack. Had two sacks in his first three years. Had five and a half in 2019. Um, also made a jump from 34 tackles, which was his previous high, up to 61 tackles. So he took on a, a massive role for this defense. Did play an additional three games, but we're talking about doubling things, as well as, by the way, three tackles for a loss up to 13. I don't think three additional games is going to do all that. But uh, a big, strong, powerful dude. And as we know, uh, Mike Pettin is going to want to stock up as many defensive tackles as possible. It's not up to him, but if he had his way, we would have probably nine big, strong, first-round draft pick defensive tackles on this defense because that's just his thing. Uh, The second meeting was with uh, Mississippi State formerly Penn State quarterback Tommy Stevens. He is a dual-threat quarterback. He spent four years at Penn State, this last year at Mississippi State, threw for 1,155 yards, 7.2 average, 11 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, added an additional 381 rushing yards and 4 touchdowns on the ground. And uh, Tommy Stevens is just, he's massive, six foot five, 235 pounds. So you got a guy that's 6'5", and he's got legs on him. I have not yet seen any reports from him out of the, uh, from the Shrine. You know, we get a lot of positive and negative reports. I've been saving all those. I don't have anything on him yet. But, you know, if this guy has any bit of an arm, which I'm assuming he does, I mean, he's going to go somewhere. He's, he's, gonna, he's like the MVS of quarterback. I don't know if the guy can play football, but he's six foot five, two 235, has a strong arm and can run. He's, he's going to be on a football team. Uh, they met with linebacker Dante Olson. He is out of Montana. Again, I don't have any reports on him yet, but six foot three, 240 pounds, kind of fits that mold of, I guess, what you would call a modern-day linebacker, right? Tall and lean. Uh, set a single-season Montana record for tackles in a season with 151 last year. He was on the 2019 Butkus Award watch list. Currently, maybe like a fourth or fifth-round guy, which is, is terrifying to think about because it's like, oh, good, they're looking at fourth-round uh, linebackers that are really good at tackling. This this is the most Packers pick ever. Let's just pencil him in now, right? <laughs> so hopefully that's not the case, but we'll see how it goes. They've also looked at Michigan defensive end Michael Dana. He has had a little bit of buzz. Apparently he was making some great plays out there uh, at practice, especially in one-on-ones, just kind of dominating the guys in front of him. Uh, Matt Miller has, has Dana as his number 10 pass rusher. Basically he moved up to Michigan 
uh, from Central Michigan because he just didn't belong at Central Michigan, right? It was sort of just unfair, just dominating everyone, just racking up stupid sacks or, or stats, also sacks. We're talking 85 sacks and two forced fumbles in 12 games. So, yeah, he went on to Michigan. Obviously, his numbers dropped down to three sacks, but uh, still considered a fairly talented uh, edge guy. Six foot two, 261, so a little bit on the smaller side, at least in terms of what Mike Pettin typically likes, but he would probably be considered on the bigger side if we're talking about a Dom Capers defense. So add an inch and four pounds, and you got like Nick Perry, who was the big guy. And then finally, they met with Arkansas McTelvin again. Another big defensive lineman, six foot three, three hundred pounds. In twelve games, he racked up thirty-nine tackles, eight and a half for a loss, five sack. And again, this is a three hundred pound man. Currently has a six-round grade by um, by Tony Pauline, so probably going to go somewhere on day three. But anyways, those are the five guys the Packers have met with. Got a quarterback, two defensive tackles, and, and again, you don't want to read too much into it. Now, the the Packers do have a history, and probably most teams do of picking up some of these guys because they met with them, but don't think that they're meeting with people because of their position. You meet with people that you have questions about. Either you really like them, or maybe there's a dispute about how good this person is and you got to get a little bit more information. Some questions about why, for example, uh, McTelvin, again, their, his, his production dropped from 2018 to 2019. Maybe you want to sit down with the guy and talk to him about that, what's going on. So it's not super predictive in terms of saying, well, they're obviously going after defensive tackles, although I think that's a possibility. However, you might be able to say down the line, if they're going to get a six-round defensive tackle, it's probably a higher probability that it's going to be McTelvin again as opposed to somebody else. Um, a, a very brief question that I, I just want to kind of leave hang out there. I've been talking about, and it's been, I guess, somewhat confirmed, although I don't think anything is super official because these teams are extremely tight-lipped. The consensus seems to be that my initial thought that the Packers are going to go heavy offense, similar to how they did with defense last year, seems to be the the general consensus, right? However, if we really think about some of the needs we have, do we need a quarterback? No. Do we need really need someone along the offensive line? I'm talking about as a starter. No. If we extend Brian Balaga, Billy Turner's not going anywhere. Corey Lindsley doesn't have to go anywhere. Elton Jenkins isn't going anywhere. And David Bakhtiari isn't going anywhere. Do we need running backs? No. Do we need wide receivers? Yes. But we have multiple picks in the draft, and not all of them have to be wide receiver. And you could say we need tight end, and we probably do on some level. But the question is, are we getting rid of both Mercedes and Jimmy? Do we have no faith in Jace? What about Robert Tanyan? He could be gone too. I don't know. I'm just asking the question. And so I guess what the, the biggest thing, and again, I'm just going to leave it out here. I'm not saying anything definitive, and I'll be curious your thoughts. Would you like to picture 2020 as a team that has this same defense and this same level of talent, and that's assuming Zadarius is able to replicate what he did this year in Preston, which is, I'll just be flat out honest, it's very unlikely, and we throw everything at offense, and of course everything doesn't necessarily mean everything, but you know, first round, second round, third round, I don't know. We get a tackle, we get a wide receiver, and then we get a tight end. Would you? Let's just put it this way. Would you like to see a much improved offense and the defense stays the same, or hit on a couple points, for example, we could possibly get away with maybe just like first or second round wide receiver. In other words, put a lot into that, but then really heavily go after some of the stuff that Mike Pettin needs so that this defense goes from being like top 10-ish and really trying to get a legitimate top five, top three defense. I mean, is that super crazy? I know we want offense. I know we need offense, but let's just say we satisfy some of it in free agency. Let's say we get a Robbie Anderson, and then, and then in the second round, we draft a guy like K.J. Hamler, if he's even around, which I doubt. He, by the way, is one of my favorite prospects in this. I just watched him. I really like K.J. Hamler. 
I have a feeling he's going to end up going first round, even though consensus seems to be second round. But he's a slot guy. So so we get an outside guy in the in free agency. We get a slot guy in the second round-ish. But first round, we get a linebacker. Third round, we get a defensive tackle. You know, we, And we just keep kind of hammering that defense with the legit intention of really wanting to get a top five defense. I, I, I can't imagine. Listen, a lot of the success that we've had has come because of the improved defense. And we the offense has to get better. But also, how much of the offensive improvement is going to come from this, this team becoming more comfortable in the scheme and therefore allowing the scheme to broaden a little bit? Because as I've said, the scheme right now is very concise. It's, it's just little bits because the offense can't quite grasp the full spectrum of what the scheme can do. Kind of like what the 49ers can already do. Right, they've been in this for a long time. They've been working on this for a long time. They can pretty much do anything that's in that playbook. The Packers cannot, and we're going to get to a quote in a, in a second that kind of illuminates that a bit. I don't know. It's, it's just kind of a thought because the Packers still do struggle against the run. The the, the lacking inability at linebacker and also at at defensive tackle. I mean, Kenny's great. Our edge guys are great, but how dominant? And, and that's the other thing. That's one of the fun things about doing mock drafts. At the beginning, you've got teams that have no talent, and you just take best player available, right? By the time you get to the end, you're looking at teams that have so many things satisfied that my strategy tends to switch from trying to fix that one area that we, we've got like a problem to I want to draft that one guy that everybody in the NFL just goes, oh no, how do we take something good and make it great? This defensive front we have is awesome. Can you imagine if we add a, a top-tier linebacker and a just dominant defensive tackle and and personally I would like a guy like Raekwon because Kenny's a great penetrator he's a great pass rusher you get a guy like Raekwon who's just a dominant run defender on top of the guys on the outside who are good against the run and great against the pass I mean just just to round this thing out it just gets me super excited now you 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 can't get a first round linebacker on a first round defensive tackle and satisfy the offense I get all that I'm, I'm just thinking out loud I guess I don't want to get too wrapped up in this is what has to happen because the fact of the matter is I think we do need to get more weapons on offense, which part of that can come through free agency. But I think a lot of the offensive growth is also going to come from comfort in the system. And I don't want the offense to be too new. I don't want to completely overhaul it so it's basically like year one for half our offense, kind of like it was for our defense. We don't have to do that. We have an offensive line. We have a quarterback. We have running backs. Get a couple more weapons through free agency in the draft by way of tight end and wide receiver, and that's good. Otherwise, yeah, let's see if we can get a top five defense. What's it going to take? Let's do it. So, again, just thinking out loud, let me know your thoughts. All right, finally, I want to read a quote from Aaron Rodgers uh, when he did his press conference. Um, But I want to preface it first. And I don't want to get too carried away, because clearly some of these games that we've played have been ugly, but they've also been wins. But here's what I want to say. When I reference run the table, typically the way or, or the biggest thing that I try to get across is is Aaron Rodgers and the fact that for him he's he's a great weather vane for this team. Number one because he's just honest. Unlike a lot of other quarterbacks and coaches and everything else, he he might try to beat around the bush a little bit, but he's pretty readable because I think just genuinely he's honest. So if he's if he's being evasive, he can't help but allow that pa- passive aggressiveness to come out. So he's kind of telling you the answer. So so number one he's honest. And number two, he just has a great insight on the team. So what happened with Run the Table was, because a lot of people confuse it, they say, well, he said it would happen and kind of spoke it into existence because everyone got excited. That's why everyone was upset in 2017 and 18. Like, why don't you just say things and then magic will happen? That's not what happened. And also, another thing that is probably not commonly remembered, 
is the fact that run the table happened after a loss. The comment came after the Packers lost. And he, you know, Aaron Rodgers was not super confident and all this stuff. And suddenly after a loss, the media comes in and they're like, all right, man, so what's going on here? And he just, there was a change. And he said something to the effect of, look, I, I don't know how to explain it, but I can tell you something big's about to happen. He's like, it, it happened kind of late in the game. Something clicked. We were all just kind of clicking. And I really believe that we can run the table. Let me just read a little bit of this article from that time. This is NBC Sports, read in somewhat of a sarcastic tone. Relax, everybody, the Packers have got this. Quarterback Aaron Rodgers, standing in the middle of the storm as the Packers have lost four straight, said he's still optimistic about the season, very optimistic. I feel like we can run the table. I really do. Rodgers said via Rob Domofsky, the offense is starting to click a little bit more. We've just got to put together a game where we're more consistent from the first snap to the last. We've been, I think, getting closer to that. We've really been clicking at times in the last few games. But it's going to be getting important that we get going early. We had three three and outs to start the game. But overall in the season, we've done a better job of eliminating our three and outs. We've been sustaining drives pretty well. That was the full comment, right? The, the clip of I feel like we can run the table is, is what everybody remembers. That was the full comment. Let me read you what Aaron Rodgers just said yesterday and tell me if it sounds somewhat familiar. Quote, Big key to these six weeks was the confidence we gained the first two games after the San Francisco loss and then winning those three division games. I just think we've learned a lot about ourselves in the process of how we go about our week. I feel like our process from Monday to Saturday improved during that time, and as a direct correlation, the mental mistakes decreased, and that allowed us to play a little quicker, a little faster, and we had just had less busts. I feel like we had too many of those over the first 10 to 11 games. I don't know if it was simplifying things in the install or the uh, the weekly practice, but I feel like there was a concerted effort to get on the same page, and even though it wasn't the prettiest of six wins, our mental focus has been a lot better the last six weeks. you got to admit, it's at least a little similar. The general premises here, although this is not quite run the table, it, it's sort of like run the table after six weeks. Had he said this, you know, after the 49ers game, it would have been similar to run the table, right? Point is, we were really bad. These were the problems, but we've begun to click. We've begin we've begun the process of getting on the same page and playing better, playing more consistent, and as a result, we've had success. In fact, we have not lost since. Now, unfortunately, that season did end in a loss. They won the division championship against the Dallas Cowboys and lost to Atlanta in Atlanta. So maybe not your favorite parallel because Atlanta in Atlanta is very tough to play, similar to like San Francisco in San Francisco. But another way to look at this is the Packers are in the midst of a run the table. This is run the table part two, redemption time. We've been here before. We've had the rough starts, the issues on offense, the issues on defense, and then something clicked. And then we started playing better. And then we somehow got into the playoffs, although it's not a, quite as somehow this time. But we, we, we managed to get that first round by. We managed to beat the first obstacle. We managed to get into the conference championship again, on the road, again, against a tough opponent, again, on their home turf, in a place that's hard to beat a team, again. This is your opportunity for redemption. And by the way, the biggest problem in that game was the fact that you didn't have a defense and the Atlanta Falcons hung 44 points on the Green Bay Packers. You know what the difference this year is? The Preston Smith third down sack against the Seattle Seahawks. That's the difference. Aaron Rodgers for years has said, just give me the opportunity to be the hero. Give me the chance to be the hero. Because every year he's the hero and then the ball is out of his hands and the defense loses it. That was such a 
big moment for this franchise when Preston Smith got that sack because we've seen this story before. We've seen Aaron Rodgers put up a great effort and the offense put up a great effort, and then it's going to come down to these the defense stopping the Seattle Seahawks, and the defense is gassed, they have nothing left, and the, the offense does what they want, and that's it. Russell Wilson is going to drive down the field. Russell Wilson is going to score a touchdown. Russell Wilson is going to win this game, and we're going to lose again. It's going to happen again. We've seen this movie over and over and over, but something different happened. This isn't supposed to happen. You're not supposed to have a guy step up and make a big play on third down to give the ball back to Aaron Rodgers, to give him the opportunity to be the hero, and guess what? He was. Aaron Rodgers was given the ball back. Preston Smith and this defense said, here, I'm giving you one last shot, man. We got nothing left. Take it and do something with it. And he did. They gave him the opportunity to be the hero and win the game, and Rodgers didn't disappoint. That's the difference this year and the year that we lost to the Atlanta Falcons, 21-44. to Are the 49ers the quote-unquote better team? Probably by just about every metric you can come up with, the 49ers are the better team. But this team has a very real shot. This team has the offensive and defensive balance. This team has the run game. This team has the quarterback. They have every hallmark of a Super Bowl caliber team. We just need the defense to stand up and play in a way that gives Aaron Rodgers the opportunity. We need the offensive line, by the way, to step up and give Aaron Rodgers the opportunity. If those two things happen, I genuinely believe Aaron Rodgers will rise to the occasion. I don't think it's a fluke that the best game he's played all year came in the playoffs against a very tough opponent. But I think if the offensive line can play better, if Balag is healthy and, and Bakhtiari has a much better game than he had last time, giving up like six pressures or whatever it was, and Aaron Rodgers has time and the defense can, can again, take away those big plays and just keep the Packers in the game, I know it's going to be a close game. I know it's not going to be easy to win, but I believe Aaron Rodgers has the ability to get them over the hump and win this game and take this team to the Super Bowl. Get excited. Because we didn't even see it, but we are in the midst of a run the table. This is part two. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.